Yeah, welcome to First Up. It's Rameri. We've got there. It's Friday the 7th of October. Connor Trubridge, ho. Coming up, we touch down in the USA and Africa to find out the big stories there as well as catching up with our Minister of Fruit and Veg. I'm joined by one of the stars of the England women's rugby team who are tipped as the favourites to win the Rugby World Cup, which kicks off at Eden Park tomorrow. There's an invasion of Mexicans in Wellington. We find out why oxalotls are multiplying in our nation's capital. And we catch up with the Breakers ahead of their first game in 489 days. It was a shitty, shitty period of my life and don't really like revisiting it too much, you know? Like we've moved on and looking forward to much happier days ahead. Atamaria, bulla to you. It's still Fijian language week, of course. Uh, I didn't end up trying Wallace's leftover raw fish yesterday. It was, it was, uh, yeah, a couple of days old, so I thought I'd better leave it. But anyway, I digress. Let's get into business. Uh, welcome into first up. We're going to be- begin this morning in the US. Uh, joining me from New York, as he does every week, is Bevan Hurley. Morena, Bevan. Morena, Nick. Let's start uh, in well with this Republican from Georgia, I should say. Herschel Walker uh, to pull out of the race for Senate. Tell us more. Yeah, Nick. So um, Herschel Walker is running um, as the Republican nominee in the state of Georgia. Um, he's a former NFL uh, and college football star who's a household name in the state. Um, but he's running as a complete political novice. And he has a, uh, a well-documented and troubling history of mental illness and domestic violence. And he's made all kinds of bizarre and false claims on the campaign trail about his credentials for the job. Uh, he was pushed into running uh, for office by his old friend, Donald Donald Trump, and he's been very vocal in courting the um, conservative Christian vote by calling for a national ban on abortions with no exceptions. And despite all of the baggage that he brought to the race, he had been running neck and neck with the um, Democratic incumbent Raphael Warnock up until this week. Um, then came Monday's bombshell report in the Daily Beast that um, Walker in 2009 had paid uh, a woman to have an abortion. Um, now, the Daily Beast did not reveal the woman's identity, but it published a get well soon card that Walker sent soon after the procedure, along with bank deposit records showing a $700 personal check signed by the um, nominee. Uh, Walker furiously denied the report, said that he didn't know who the woman was, that it was defamatory, etc., etc. Um, and that night, uh, Herschel Walker's son, Christian, who's a conservative influencer with a very large online following, um, posted a series of tweets claiming that Walker had been violent towards him and his mother. Um, After previously backing his father's campaign, Christian said uh, that Herschel was lying and and, uh, was a a hypocrite. Um, Then on Wednesday night, Nick, we heard uh, from the Daily Beast again. They published an interview with the the woman at the centre of the allegations who revealed that she went on to date Herschel Walker for a number of years after the abortion and that they in fact have a child together. Uh, She told the Daily Beast that she was stunned but not shocked by Herschel Walker's denials, saying that maybe there are just so many of us that he truly doesn't remember. But then again, if he really forgot about it, that says something too. Um, Now, this is going to really test uh, the faith of Georgia voters. The midterms are less than five weeks away now, Nick, and the road to a majority in the Senate for both parties runs through just a handful of swing states like Georgia. 
And so um, this, of course, puts the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade right back at the centre of the political debate, which is one that the Republicans um, really don't want to be talking about. Jeez, Bevan, that puts some of our political scandals to shame in New Zealand, doesn't it? There's a fair bit there. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. A, yeah, and a blanket ban on, on abortions, no exceptions, as you said as well. Uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Let's move to something for the tech nerds, I guess you could say. Uh, Elon, <laughs> Elon Musk has finally done it. He's finally done it and he's pulled the trigger and he's bought Twitter. Yeah, well, we are um, we are waiting uh, confirmation from the court in Delaware that the, the, the legal action of has actually um, been halted as as far as this morning, Nick. It's still going, but um, but that's right. The the world's richest man, and and you could say most attention hungry man, um, uh, performed an abrupt U turn this week, um, calling uh, agreeing to pay forty four billion dollars for Twitter. Um, now that's conditional on him um, being able to secure that financing that he lined up in April when he made the deal, and um, on that um, court action being dropped by Twitter. That you know, Twitter had been burnt a number of times during this um, you know ongoing saga, and and they're not giving up those legal proceedings until they can see you know the money on the table. Um, and Musk's uh, timing of his change of heart was interesting. He had um, been delaying a deposition that he had been due to sit for as part of the legal proceedings for days and um, right on the eve of when he was actually due to have to sit and answer questions under oath by Twitter's lawyers, you know, lo and behold, we had this deal. Um, And it's presumed he was probably trying to avoid the kind of embarrassing revelations that we saw in those text messages that came out as part of the discovery in the case last week. Um, The text text between Musk and some of his uh, fellow billionaire pals like Larry Ellison and Jack Dorsey really showed a, a lackadaisical approach to securing the financing and um, showed that they really didn't have much of a plan to run Twitter once it took over. Um, but this does, um, again, have quite big implications, possible implications for the midterms, Nick. Um, uh, Musk has said that he wants to see Donald Trump back on the platform. Uh, he was banned after the January 6 riots. So, you know, that could really um, shake things up a little bit and, and, and turn the political discourse even coarser over here. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and meanwhile, you mentioned Trump, but his uh, successor, President Biden, has visited Florida, hasn't he? And he's he's in a sh- in a real show of a sort of united front. He's he's visited alongside one of his harshest critics. Yeah, this is intriguing, um, Nick. Uh, the Governor Ron DeSantis, who who's up for re-election in, in just a few weeks. Um, you know, he's been this really combative uh, culture warrior. Um, you know. Uh, going after Disney, um, banning um, just any discussion from uh, of, of, of you know gender or any, or any of those kind of issues in schools, um, and he pivoted once Hurricane Ian um, landed uh, on Florida, causing that you know awful destruction last week. He really pivoted to the sort of the statesman-like um, leader, and um, so on Wednesday we got to see Joe Biden and DeSantis you know um, trot out to a um, a few photo ops and and, and hold a joint press conference and these two um, are not each other's biggest fans you know DeSantis has really gone after Biden for his handling of the border and other other issues Um, but they're really putting on a united front and um, it's sort of uh, watering political mouths I I suppose you could say because these two could well face off in 2024 Um, but of course we can't forget that you know more than 100 people died in in Hurricane Ian it's uh, it's been a um, 
a really devastating uh, event in Florida. And Biden um, has promised, you know, lots of federal aid, lots of low interest loans for people trying to get back on their feet. And, um, you know, it's really good to see um, actually political leaders working together like this in a, in a time of crisis. Yeah, indeed. Uh, thanks, Bevan. Bevan Hurley joining us there from New York. It is uh, just gone 12 minutes past five and you're with first up on RNZ National. It's me, Nick Trubridge, in for Nathan today, who, as far as we know, has survived the first week of school holidays. That said, I haven't heard from him, so I hope he's I hope he's all good. Uh, and continuing the school holiday theme, we want, it's, it's sort of a nostalgic question. What did you used to do as a kid during your school holidays? Someone asked me yesterday... And uh, we used to get sent up to, well, I, I remember getting sent up to Levin, to Grands, and you would clean gutters, and you would paint fences, and you would wash cars. Someone asked me yesterday whether you got paid. Hell no. You get a dime. You got dinner and lunch. But anyway, I digress. What did you do? Uh, you can text us to 101. You can, t- you can tweet us at firstuprnz. You can email first up at rnz.co.nz and you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at first up. Right, uh, we are going to go to Africa. It's time to check on the latest headlines from there. Joining us now is our correspondent in Accra, in Ghana. That's Nabil Ahmed. Morning, Nabil. How are you? Hi, thank you, Nick. Morena. Morena to you. Good to hear your voice. Good to hear your voice. Uh, let's start in, in Burkina Faso, Nabil. Uh, the, the leader of a coup there has officially, in inverted commas, been appointed president. It's the second coup in less than a year, right? Yes, Nick, indeed. Uh, this particular uh, military junta actually ousted the former uh, leader who also came into power through a coup uh, called Lieutenant Colonel Paul Damiba, uh, just last week, Friday. Now, Lieutenant Colonel Paul Damiba staged a coup in January this year and ousted the democratically elected president, uh, Rock Makobori, uh, for failing to tackle the insecurity linked to uh, militant groups in the country. And now, this second coup that has happened in less than nine months, uh, which was uh, headed by uh, Captain Trari, is also for the same reason that Paul Damiba has not been able to also tackle the insecurity and he claims that the insecurity in the country has also worsened. And so we can call it a coup within a coup. And he has now been appointed as the president of uh, the country. Now, uh, what makes the situation um, there is that um, previously the regional bloc, the Economic Committee of West African States, ECOWAS, has been in talks with the former uh, military junta Paul Damiba to restore the country to civilian goal, uh, civilian rule uh, in the next two months, uh, next two years, sorry, that is 2024. And now they've been able to convince the new uh, leader, that's uh, Captain Trari, to actually hold elections in the next two years. So it's something that we are watching closely to see if that would really happen. But people in Burkina Faso are not really happy about the insecurity in the country and they've actually largely blamed France which was its former colonial leader, um, and um, they want them out of the country, uh, Nick. Yeah, testing times indeed, Nabil. Uh, Let's move to Uganda. Uh, A bit of a political embarrassment. It's a little bit awkward there because the president has had to apologise 
for his son's threat to invade Kenya. Tell us about that. Well, Nick, this has actually become necessary. This apology has become necessary because uh, the president of Uganda, Yoweri Museveni, is trying to uh, not to strain relationship between Uganda and then Kenya. Now, his apology really comes after his son in a tweet um, said that he could uh, actually wipe out Kenya uh, in a matter of days. And a lot of uh, people from Kenya actually were not happy about that particular tweet and they were calling on him to retract and also apologize. But this time around, uh, his father, that's the president of Uganda, has taken it upon himself to apologize to uh, Kenya and says um, he's actually uh, sorry for what his son has done and um, they will try to repair the relationship between the uh, two countries. Nick. And uh, moving to Liberia, Nabil, it's a real African tour today. There's a rice shortage there, and there are protests in the streets over this, right? Uh, yes, there's been protests in Liberia due to uh, the shortage of rice, which is a main staple in uh, Liberia. Now, tensions escalated with large crowds uh, of desperate and angry people uh, gathering in front of the empty warehouses calling for I mean, uh, things to be resolved as soon as possible. Now, uh, the ministry, uh, which is in charge of commerce, uh, actually hastily uh, prepared a press release uh, to the public, and it said that there was still rice in the country and urged uh, rice retailers not to restrict sales uh, or engage in uh, uh, profiteering at the expense of the ordinary people. So there are efforts being done to really make sure that rice is available for the masses in Liberia. Yeah, and we'll stay in Liberia, uh, Nabil, a a, a topic that you know plenty about, but perhaps not in this case, because the Liberian national team has been, well, their under-17 team, I should say, has been disqualified from the under-17 Africa Cup of Nations. Tell us why. Yes, well, we understand that um, some of the players actually failed... uh, and uh, a test to detect their real age. And it came out that the age that they gave to authorities were actually not accurate. And after further tests were conducted, they realized that uh, there's this issue about cheating when it comes to age in football, and they had to be disqualified. So essentially, the country is not happy about this. And um, they are saying that uh, they will try to make sure that they get things right uh, next time. But this particular disqualification um, in in essence, would make sure that um, Liberia uh, does not qualify for the uh, Under-17 Nations Cup, uh, which is set for uh, April next year, and they will not be uh, participating in that particular tournament, uh, Nick. Thanks, Nabil. Nabil Ahmed there joining us from Ghana. Go Ghana in the World Cup. I know he's excited about it. We spoke about that last time, and he really fancies their chances. So hopefully they do well. Right, it is... Now too late to vote in these very important local body elections by post. We're talking about the elections back in New Zealand, of course, but you can still vote. Don't think you can't because you can't post it. To tell us how is electoral electoral officer Dale Ofsoski, who is the electoral officer and managing director of election services, one of the two companies that run local body elections.
The voting period is still open, of course, and doesn't close until midday on Saturday. So it is probably too late now to put anything in the post because I actually must receive it by midday on Saturday. So we do encourage everyone, uh, so wanting to vote, they still can, but by putting it in a, a ballot box uh, located at all the countdown supermarkets across Auckland as well as transport centres and all council facilities. And most councils uh, have the similar facilities they will have ballot boxes at all their um, libraries and service centres, as well as a number of councils do also include countdowns and might tens. If they're not enrolled, of course, they'll have to enrol on vote.nz, and they need to do that process or change their details if they haven't got their vote because of an old address. Change their details, and they can certainly uh, obtain a special vote. And again, they are available from seven locations in Auckland up until midday on Saturday. And unless it's an absolutely nail-biting result, it shouldn't be too long before we find out who our new local leaders are. We will start with a a progress result, which will be released around 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. So that will be all votes that we have received, uh, except for those hand-delivered on the Saturday morning, and all special votes. We won't have a uh, final declaration of results until the following Thursday night, and that will be all votes, including all valid special votes. And while voter turnout remains low, Dale Ofsoski says it's seen a bit of a bump in the final week. Across our councils, about 23 councils, we have an average of 27.6%, which is trailing a little bit about 3% behind this time three years ago at 31.4%. So just for comparison... Auckland Council, you know, with 1.14 million electors, is at 26.6% turnout compared to 29.8% turnout, same stage three years ago. So about 3% behind. It has just gone, just gone 22 minutes past five. It's not often you look up and it's bang on. I'm Nick Trubridge and you're with First Up. On RNZ National, coming up, the Minister of Fruit and Veg, Glenn Forsyth, tells us when the right time is to freeze different types of fruit as it goes out of season. It's just one more sleep, as we've just heard, until we find out who will lead our cities and towns. We get an update on that local election turnout. And English rugby star star player Helena Rowland talks to us ahead of the World Cup, which kicks off this weekend. Well, they are standing in the rear. Big ones, small ones, some as big as head. It's Friday, as you know. Hooray. And that means we talk to Glenn Forsyth. Are you laughing already, Glenn? You're loving it, mate, when you just said hooray. Uh, he's here, the Minister of Fruit and Veggies. Morning to you. Uh, let's start with Frozen. Frozen. You're not supposed to laugh over the intro like that. Because now you've got me laughing. Uh, Frozen berries have been in the spotlight, not least on Checkpoint, right? Uh, So if you want to, well, avoid hepatitis, I do. I assume you do as well. Can you freeze your own? Yes, well, that's right. I mean, we looked at that. Yeah, there has been a recall. About, you know, three weeks ago, MP suggested, MPI suggested boiling before eating, cooking, exceed 85 degrees for a minute, washing your hands, etc. I mean, I can't see how that helped, to be honest, and I wonder if the process could have been better, like the product getting pulled straight away. However, that aside, we did talk to some New Zealand berry experts this week to instead find out when to buy fresh New Zealand berries at their lowest prices and freeze your own. 
Now, we, we do this at home, and we can't be without frozen blueberries, and we have a big chest freezer full of goodies. This way, we know our berries are New Zealand-made, we know their history, and you know they're never older than 12 months before we replenish. So Simon Tallon from Driscoll's, we call him Stretch as he's two metres tall, he told us the peaks to buy for this coming season. Strawberries, last week of November and first week of December, get into them. Blueberries, first two weeks of January. Uh, blackberries, last week of January and first week of February. And finally, raspberries, which there are two flushes, early December and late March. So very, very helpful. Two more suggestions made were to talk with your greengrocers at these times. These guys walk the market floors daily and they will let you know exactly when to pounce and buy up large. And for the keen pick-your-own listeners out there, when farms open up their paddocks late in the season, ask the management management if they have an excess of small fruit or smoothie fruit, they call it. Mm. Uh, they can also sell those to you in bulk, which are often at production prices. So thank you, Simon, for those very handy tips for those four varieties of berries when to buy them. Yeah, and uh, I've noted down those best buy times as well. Uh, buy, yeah, B-U. B-U-Y, of course, not best buyers, and you've got to eat them by that date. Uh and sure. speaking of freezing, right, it's been cold. Uh, and in Auckland, when <laughs> yep. I say cold, I mean like 10 degrees as opposed to like, I don't know, less than zero down south. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, any effect on vegetables, the freezing weather? Well, this cold weather has kept green short in the deep south. However, it was quite the opposite in Auckland yesterday. The only green short was spring onions, but celery, asparagus, cauliflower and spinach, they were all okay. And walking around the floors, there were literally hundreds of crates of lettuce and broccoli for the weekend. Thought we would even check in on Norman Young, big carrot and potato grow in Oakuni with, you know, this polar blast and about three weeks to go on his crop to see if it's caused him any problems. He just replies, nah, she's all good down here. I mean, he's such a legend. I mean, seriously, any more relaxed that guy, he'd be in a coma. But, you know, other vegetables in good supply today included orange and red kumara, cucumbers, courgettes, eggplant, and capsicums. Supplies are building up on those helped by slack demand because of the school holidays. And now that broccoli has eased, it's timely to mention the powerhouse this vegetable is. Dr. Zach Turner says it provides a little bit of almost every nutrient you need. You can lightly stir fry it with garlic and oyster sauce. You can steam it with salt and pepper, some of his suggestions, or you can even bake it in the oven with a small amount of mm. pasta and cheese. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree, Re Broccoli. Katrina's shaking her head in the studio saying it's awful, but... <laughs> But uh, I think it is. It's it's a super veg, isn't it? It is a super veg. I oh, had it yes. on. I had it two nights ago with like some soy sauce, some garlic, a little bit of chili. Yes. It was so good. Uh, anyway, very quickly, yes. let's go to oh, I don't know, fruit of the week. Fruit. <laughs> okay, well, fruit growers are too, you know, they're always on high alert during October, protecting their stone fruit crops in Hawke's Bay, Marlborough, and central Otago with low overnight temperatures and potential hailstorms. It really is a sleepless month for for them. And good supply this weekend, though, are New Zealand naval oranges, envy apples, and another massive fresh shipment of USA seedless grapes have arrived, all three colours as well. Now, fruit of the week. It hang, may on, not be a hang, surprise, on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've got, to, I've got to do the, you know, we've got to build this up. We've got to build this up. Glenn, three, two, one, fruit of the week, please. New Zealand avocados. How do you have them? Now, yeah, well, that's right. It may not be a surprise, but value for money currently, nothing touches them at the moment. You certainly come across as a foodie, Nick, and I hope you like them. But can you share three different ways you like to eat them, as it's fascinating hearing all sorts of I've got to say, I've got to say, I don't really like them. Oh, my gosh. It's a, text, okay. it's a well, textual thing. 
Yeah, well, with me it was too. Now, we cubed them in a fresh garden salad. We always put two in, and that's the way I started to eat them in my late 20s. You know, mind you, the cheese helped too. Number two, I mean, definitely, we sliced them on Vogel's toast with butter and Vegemite, beautiful, and cubed into a Thai Indian dish. Sounds strange, added after the curry is cooked, obviously. But, mm. you know, once it's mixed in there with the rice, etc., delicious. So yeah. you try them slowly in a salad first, Nick. Okay, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. I'll go home after the show and give them a go. Thank you, Glenn. See you next week. It is business time, indeed. Uh, Friday business, Friday bumper business with Giles Beckford. How about that, Giles? Purity and Nick, I've just reported you to the uh, Committee of Un-New Zealand Activities for not being an avocado lover. No, average, overrated, not a fan. Anyway, uh, something <laughs> slightly less trivial is... Uh, oh, we, look, we had a listener query yesterday about uh, this US situation, quite the situation... The country being in $31 trillion of debt. That's right. And, and how big an issue that is. <laughs> and well, with, it came, with the message came the word insurmountable. Yeah, uh, it did. And uh, so I went away and had a wee look at the uh, US debt figures. It's about uh, 125% of the value of the US economy. In other words, they owe more than their current economy is worth. By comparison, New Zealand is somewhere in the region, if we took all our overseas uh, indebtedness uh, on a net basis, we're about 49, 50% of the value of our economy. So we're in much better shape and Mm. government debt levels in New Zealand much better as well. You have to say that being the world's biggest economy, um, while uh, we might think that uh, $31 trillion is astronomical, They'll, they'll never have a problem borrowing money. Uh, their economy is big enough and generates enough uh, production and services that they'll always be servicing it. Uh, they'll always be able to pay what they owe eventually. So from that point of view, it does put pressure on the rest of the world, of course, because it sets the tone of uh, global interest rates, especially long-term interest rates. Uh, and what happens in the U.S., inevitably just goes right around the world. You know, it influences what we pay here on in long-term mortgages, uh, long-term uh, borrowings as well. So, yeah, yes, it would seem insurmountable, but generation after generation after generation will keep borrowing, will keep paying for mm. it. Uh, and you have to say that the rest of the world keeps turning up to buy American bonds, American assets, yeah. um, as I say. Yeah. So insurmountable... It is not. It is not. No, it's right. No, exactly. Uh, all right, Giles, we'll leave it there. We've got more topics, but you will, of course, cover them later on in the morning because the business team will be back on Morning Report at 10 to 7. And while we're talking business, let's turn to how the New Zealand dollar is being traded around the world. It's currently at 56.76 US cents, 88.24 Australian cents, 57.75 Euro cents, 50.75 British pence, 4.01 yuan and 82.2 Japanese yen. Turn up the music and dance to the radio.
Alrighty, Barry's here. Miranda. Barry, we're on World Cup Eve. We're on yes. World Cup Eve, of course. Uh, Eden Exciting. Park heading towards, heading towards, inching towards the cellar. Really attractive ticket prices, I've got to say. Uh, no reason a- not to go. Exactly, no excuse. And Rita Ora at halftime. Well, mm. in between the in between the triple header. Uh, tell us. Well, bring us up to speed on on World Cup Eve, Barry. What are the what are the headlines heading in? Uh, well, I suppose it's uh, well. The locals, of course, are just wondering how the Black Ferns are going to go. They haven't had a great last sort of uh, year, really, when it comes to playing the top teams. And um, in uh, the piece I've written for the web, actually, I've sort of said um, that they're not my favourites to win. Uh, the tournament that clearly has to be England, who have gone three years unbeaten, about 25 uh, games unbeaten, which I think is now a record. Uh, and also the Black Ferns were well beaten by France at the end of last year also. I know that the Black Ferns have probably turned a few things around and worked on their fitness and those sorts of things under Wayne Smith this year. Uh, but uh, really, um, if uh, if they make the final, I'd be I'd be quite impressed, actually. Um, I don't know whether they can go all the way. Right. Perhaps with another sellout of uh, 35 or 1,000 yeah. people at Eden Park, it might help them along. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. So three games at Eden Park uh, tomorrow and three in Whangarei on uh, Sunday. And so, yeah, for about um, from $10, I think it is, you can get along and, and watch um, three games of rugby if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, hopefully the weather's pretty good. I and, think it's looking uh, okay. okay. Can yeah, get yeah. behind them. Yeah. I think it's looking all right. Uh, uh, talking about the weather, though, it, I mean, it was snowing in Christchurch yesterday, and the Black Caps are playing in Christchurch this yeah. weekend against Bangladesh and Pakistan in T20 games. It's as cold as their current record, Barry. As, <laughs> col- as cold as their current form. As cold as their current form. I feel so. I mean, I remember going along to the basin Sorry, a few right. times and watching uh, the West Indies play, and when the wind was blowing, they were com- all wrapped up in their blooming, you know, long jumpers and all of those sorts of things. I feel f- sorry mm. for the Bangladeshis and the Pakistanis, know. you know, yeah. when they have to play uh, in, in crisis, perhaps. But the World Cup's only uh, a week or two away in Australia, yep. the T20 World Cup, so they're warming up for yep. that. Uh, yep. I was going to have a quick word with um, get Nathan's thoughts on Hawks Bay. Well, playing uh, Wellington in the quarterfinals of the MPC. Well, this see, weekend. I'm other side of. The, I'm literally other side of the fence too. In fact, I'm sitting here in a Hurricanes top. Oh uh, wow! And Wellington are going to destroy them. You would think so, just because they've come into form, won about six or seven in a row. They Beat always play for the Ramsey Shield. Yep, we always we always start slow, but yeah. uh, we we. I was about to say we win when it matters. I'm, I, I certainly wouldn't go that far, but I, I yeah. back us. I back us. And we've got rid of that uh, get, um, expect the unexpected thing. Yes. Thank goodness. That was well, the worst motto ever. Yeah, 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 yeah although yeah. fitting, yeah. Yeah, just, right. a, just a quick shout-out shout yep. to uh, Ironman World Championships. Uh, the women's elite race has just started in Kona. Uh, that was about 20 minutes ago. The men's race is on Sunday. Braden Curry is probably New Zealand's best chance there. Yeah. Uh, you know, talking about nice weather in Hawaii. Yep, absolutely. Go Braden Curry. He is. Uh, he does us proud. Sort of goes under the radar a little bit, but uh, certainly one of New Zealand's best. Thanks, Barry. Barry Guy Cheers. there with our sports news. Uh, there will be more sports news and morning report. And staying on sport, we're going to go and look at the Breakers because they play their first home game in 489 days tonight at Spark Arena. Uh, Arena against the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. It's been a journey 
for the New Zealand-based ANBL franchise through the pandemic, being forced to base themselves across the Tasman. They've struggled in recent times. They looked pretty good in their first game, though. Uh, and they'll, they uh, will be hoping some, normali- some normality will see a return to them being a dominant team. Reporter Leonard Powell went to meet the squad yesterday and find out how it feels to be home. Beckway for the win! The Breakers have had some glory days in the NBL, winning four championships between 2011 and 2015, but the last few seasons have been rough for the franchise. Being forced to live in Australia, isolation and a revolving roster of players made for a second-to-last finish in 2020 and the wooden spoon last season. At Dilworth Senior School on a chilly day in Auckland, the Breakers are back in town and getting ready for their first home game of the season. Breakers captain Tom Abercrombie didn't beat around the bush when describing what the last two seasons were like being based in Australia. Mate, honestly, it's it's like a long time ago and it was a it was a shitty, shitty period of my life and don't really like revisiting it too much, you know? Like we've moved on and like this year's this year and um, yeah, we've got over that, that COVID patch and looking forward to much happier days ahead. Abercrombie's wife and three children joined him in Australia last season but he says it's a relief to be back to normality. The Breakers legend, who is currently sidelined with an eye injury, is conscious of winning the fans back after such a long absence. It's been a long time since they've been able to see us and connect with us as a team and we've got to build that relationship back up with them and show that real you know, Kiwi toughness I think that they can relate to and hopefully they like what they see and they come out and support us. Um, we're excited to play in front of them again. Australian Boomers representative Will McDowell-White is on the other side of the ledger, leaving his home country to be based in Auckland with the Breakers. I asked the rising star whether he'd noticed the mood of the team lift since the period of seemingly endless isolation spells. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, you know, last year we kind of knew we were going to be away the whole time and I guess that kind of brought brought things down a little bit, but, you know, uh, just different energy and obviously the guys who were here last year just being home obviously adds a little bit more to that. The past two seasons have seen the ANBL teams living in isolation bubbles, so I asked the players if they'd picked up on any new hobbies. McDowell White says he made the most of the quiet time by hitting the paperbacks. No, I'd, I'd say I've been reading a bit more. I'm a biography guy, so I like to learn about people and uh, things like that, so that's probably the biggest thing i picked up. Best biography you've had? Uh, well, I'm a big Michael Jackson fan, so I'm reading that right now, and, yeah, I mean, nothing can get better than that. Tall black Ford Rob Lowe, meanwhile found other passions. Uh, I probably just doubled down on my coffee addiction and you know just went out for coffees far too many times. So <laughs> Definitely a good addiction to have. Coffee's great, but I'm looking forward to being home the whole season. Lowe is one of only three players remaining who are part of the 2019-2020 pre-COVID lineup, alongside Abercrombie and Tom Vodanovic. His family also joined him in Australia last season, but he says there's no substitute for the regular home life. Yeah, my wife and son came over for the last season. Um, first season obviously didn't. It doesn't quite change the fact that you're not at home, not in your own bed and not, in, um, not playing in front of your own fans. 489 days is a long time between home games for the Breakers, who last played at home on the 5th of June last year, when the borders were briefly open to Australia. The Breakers lost their opening match of the season in overtime against Melbourne last weekend, but if the atmosphere at training is anything to go by, there's a sense of optimism in the camp. 
Tip-off is at 7.30 at Spark Arena tonight. It's 17 minutes to six. I'm Nick Trubridge and you're with First Up on RNZ National. Still to come, the Rugby World Cup 2021 kicks off tomorrow. England's Helena Rowland joins the programme. Right, the professionals, the professionals of Morning Report are up after six. And for the last time... Susie Ferguson is crossing in to first up. Uh, Susie, one Kia to ora. go. One to go. One show to go. That's right. But I think I think it's it's nearly well. You're past your one show to go point, aren't you? I'm I'm thirteen minutes to go. Thirteen yeah. minutes to go. Yeah, yeah. It's but, the day for it. But uh, let's tr- let's stay on task. Let's finish strong. <laughs> uh, because what have what have you got? Hit us with it. Well, we're going to be talking, of course, about this uh, mass shooting in Thailand. Uh, uh, an awful attack, actually, that's taken place at a preschool there. At least thirty-eight people, many of them young children, have been killed in that. Also, back here, we'll be talking about fuel companies warning that higher petrol prices are on the way. Of course, just in time for the summer and the Women's Rugby World Cup kicking off in Auckland tomorrow it is set to be the most competitive ever it's probably set to be the biggest ever as well we'll yeah. be speaking with uh, one of the organisers Dame Julie Christie just after seven and of course all of this coming up after six this morning Thanks Susie have a great show this morning We uh, everyone is going to miss you on, on Morning Report uh, it's been a joy to listen to and uh, you're not leaving for good though really are you you're, you'll be around well, Ngamihi, that's very kind of you to say, Nick. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not going to be leaving completely, but I suppose it's my last show at, at doing yeah. it as a, you know, my, my permanent thing. Permanent, but moving yeah. on, doing other other things around RNZ, so I'll be popping up here and there. All the best. Thanks, Susie. Uh, morning report you. coming up in about 12 minutes' time. And, of course, Susie mentioned the Rugby World Cup, which kicks off tomorrow in Auckland with a triple header and a Rita Ora concert as well. England are the world number one, of course, ranked uh, women's rugby side. The Red Roses, as they're known, have won the World Cup twice in 94 and 2014 and have been runners-up on five other occasions. They dominated the Black Ferns. They really did at their end-of-year UK tour last year and are arguably the favourites to win the World Cup, which starts, as I say, in Eden, at Eden Park tomorrow. Uh, one of their star players is Helena Rowland. Going into this World Cup, it seems that every team has had probably the best prep that they've ever had. So obviously we, we've been in camp a long time and, and we've done everything we can, but we're by no means resting on that. We know that there's going to be some big challenges coming up. Obviously starting with Fiji this weekend, they're not a team that we, we've played before. So that's that's going to be a challenge in itself. And yeah, I, I think by no means does our prep kind of, I don't know, give us an advantage. I think everyone's had a really good lead into this tournament and I'm sure there'll be some very competitive games. Obviously the England team's had a lot of success over over recent years, right? So where would, and I don't want to, to crystal ball gaze too much, but where would success at a World Cup rank? I imagine this is this is the ultimate aim really, right? Yeah, 100%. I think we've we've not shied away from the fact that we're here because we, we want to win and all our preparation has gone towards that end goal at the World Cup. And yeah, successes at a World Cup would be massive. It's ultimately what we've been training for the last nine weeks, but also the last, what, four or five years now. It's all been down to this World Cup. So yeah, that is definitely the aim. Ultimately, you're not going to get there unless you focus on each game as it comes and, and really put everything into that and then kind of see where that takes you further down the competition. And 
yeah, hopefully we, we come out on the right side of it. But ultimately, as as it's shown in previous World Cups, these are re- really, really tough to win and very competitive the whole way through. So look forward to it. <laughs> Obviously, on the on the New Zealand side of things, the Black Ferns have, have had a few changes made since you beat them last year, particularly around the coaching staff. What are you anticipating from the host nation? <laughs> Obviously, yeah, you've seen a lot of change. There's some some uh, big changes in the coaching setup, like you said, and and they're going to make a massive difference on on a team in terms of the culture and the setup and and all that sort of thing. And Obviously, from a team perspective, I've got a few of the sevens girls back as well that that weren't playing in the autumn. So, yeah, it's going to be a, a big challenge. We're by no means kind of looking back to that autumns and, and thinking it's going to be the same outcome because it's not. A lot can change in a year, and and with different coaches and and all that sort of stuff, it's we're anticipating if we meet them or um, a, a very very tough game and yeah, a completely different game I think to the ones that we had last year. And putting the Rugby World Cup aside briefly, I went on to ask Helena if she and her teammates were concerned at this week's Scottish study. It found, of course, former international rugby players were 15 times more likely to develop motor neuron disease because of repeated concussions. We're definitely taking it very seriously as a squad. I think in terms of, obviously, your big things are your tackle technique and and that sort of thing and done a lot of work around that to make sure that these head contacts aren't occurring and you know that it, it's going to be ref very hotly in in this World Cup as well. So, yeah, I think there's processes in place to try and obviously prevent these sorts of injuries. And, yeah, hopefully going forward, that helps to bring down the numbers of sufferers later down the line. Because what actually happens now, say you're playing a professional match and you take a pretty severe knock to the head for some reason, whether it's in Iraq or, or during a tackle, what would happen to you now? Uh, I think they've recently changed the regulations, haven't they? So if you're diagnosed as concussed, then it, it's mandatory kind of 12 days. That helps in itself. You've got five days completely off to, I suppose, really check in and assess how, you, how you're feeling. And there's no rush back. You're not going to make the next game anyway. So, yeah, to, I suppose, really go through those protocols and, and make sure that you're feeling 100% before you step out on the pitch. But, yeah, I think the new regulations around it are... are only a good thing in terms of giving slightly longer for kind of your brain to heal and and you to get back up to fitness and make sure you're feeling right. And just finishing off, back to the World Cup. Whenever we go into a World Cup, there's always sort of players on people's minds who we think could set the tournament on fire. And obviously at the conclusion of the World Cup, you have things like top try scorer and you have... You know, highlights packages and players who have who again have sort of set the tournament on fire. I don't want you to choose favourites, but actually, I am going to ask you to choose some <laughs> from your own team. Who are some players that you think we should look out for on Saturday and beyond? Uh, in terms of your top try scorers, you can't really look too far past your wingers, can you? But actually, on on the flip side of that our hookers seem to score a lot so people like Amy Cocaine and and those sorts of people they're always up there on the try scoring yeah I think someone like Lydia Thompson is is pretty deadly finisher for us and then you've got the likes of Emily Scarrett who <laughs> doesn't seem to miss conversion so I'm, I'm sure she'll be she'll be up there as well I guess at the end of the day though it doesn't matter where people individuals lie on the scoring table if you lift the trophy you lift the trophy right Yes, yeah, exactly. That is that is the ultimate goal, and and whatever else comes with it is a, is a nice added bonus. But yeah, we're all very focused on 
on the, the, the task of, of lifting that trophy come the end of the tournament. That's English women's rugby player Helena Rowland. She is, of course, a first five eights, I believe, and she is pretty spectacular. So if you're uh, thinking about going to the World Cup, make sure you do, because that English team is pretty slick, that's for sure. Uh, right, we're going to go to the US before we leave this morning. President Joe Biden has visited Florida, as you heard earlier, to see for himself the devastation caused by Hurricane Ian. The storm killed more than 100 people and is the strongest ever to hit the state. The president said his job was to make sure the people of Florida were supported to recover. Major Carlisle Gargis, Gargis, sorry if I've got that wrong, Major Carlisle, uh, area commander for the Salvation Army in Fort Myers, said 80 tonnes of food and close to 100,000 bottles of water had already been brought into the community. He described the overwhelming destruction caused by the hurricane. It seems like everywhere I go and as far as I can go, I can't get away from it. The destruction is everywhere for miles and miles and miles. And it's not just uh, uh, areas where it may have been minimal or, or a lot. It's, it's, it's pretty devastating across the whole area. It's still, you know, there's still a lot of folks without, uh, I think 34% do not, still do not have power. We are under a boil water order here in Fort Myers. And, uh, you know, all of my, uh, most of my employees either lost homes or had extensive damage here, uh, volunteers as well. And, you know, we're just seeing the, you know, um, the working wounded here as we're trying to serve our, our fellow Floridians. In some areas where uh, in the, the islands where we have lost access, a lot of things are having to be boated or, or airlifted in. Uh, but the Salvation Army here is able to move into the areas with our mobile feeding units uh, right to the point of need. So people, because a lot of folks can't even drive because their cars were flooded. And so we're, we're trying to get to them with the resources they need as quickly as possible. Right, finally this morning, before we go, a little bit of feedback. Uh, we asked about school holidays, didn't we? I used to get sent up to Levin, to Grand's place. I think Peter McElwain during the week said he basically just used to have play fights and beat the living daylights out of his brother, and his brother would do the same to him as you would. Well, this person says uh, it's been a very long time but listening to daily radio serials was a must. Then us kids would roam, roam the hills around Green Island and Abbotsford, sometimes pick a few mushrooms, okay, <laughs> then go swimming at the local baths. Uh, yeah, lovely stuff. They're great memories, aren't they? Uh, something on berries as well. Uh, here are the best times to buy fresh NZ berries this coming season. I think I know who this from. Strawberries, last weekend of November to first week December. Blueberries, first two weeks of January. Blackberries, last week of January to first week of February. And raspberries, two peaks expected for raspberries. Early December and late March. Uh, a big chest freezer on the shopping list this year. Yep, freeze your own berries if you don't want to get hepe, which, trust me, you don't want to. All right, that is nearly it from us. What have we got on this weekend? Women's World Cup. Go the Black Ferns. Go the Black Ferns. Barry, he was uh, a little bit yeah, worried about your chances, but I back you. I think you're going to do it. Beat England, beat Oz. Uh, we've also got, of course, Wellington versus Hawks Bay. Truebridge versus Rarere. 
Speaking of Rarity, he'll be back on Monday. And you won't be here. And I won't be here because I'm off. It's been uh, a real joy to fill in for Nathan and Lisa on Checkpoint. Yeah, video killed the radio star, that's for sure, because that's where I'm heading. Right. Without further ado, Nathan will be back on Monday. Maybe tail between his legs a little bit after Hawks Bay lose that quarterfinal, but uh, look, he's well worth listening to. That's it from us. Have a great weekend. Do look after one another.